Um, hello everybody and Kia Ora. Um, today we will provide an overview of a new framework uh, to support consistent approaches to understanding and comparing uh, the pavement impacts of performance-based standards vehicles. We have more than 200 people registered for today's session. Uh, welcome to you all and thanks for joining us. My name is Ekaterina, I'm a Communications Officer at Ostroads, and I will be moderating today's session together with one of our presenters, Angus Drum, who will moderate the Q&A at the end of the webinar. First of all, I would like to acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. I pay my respect to all this past, present and emerging. I also acknowledge the Treaty of Waitani and Maori as the original people of New Zealand. A little bit about Austroads. Uh, we are the collective of Australasian transport and traffic agencies, and our focus is to support our member organizations to deliver an improved road transport network. The project we are focusing on today was delivered under the Network Operations Program, which is managed by Richard Del Place. So a bit of housekeeping, our presenters will speak for 40 minutes and then we will have a Q&A session for 15 minutes. The report and the slides today's presentation is based on can be downloaded from, your, uh, from the handout section of your sidebar, which you will find on the right-hand side of your screen. There's also a question section there, so please use it to send us your questions uh, for the Q&A at any stage during the webinar. If your question relates to any particular slide, uh, just include the slide number in your message to help us answer your question as best as we can. You can also use that same questions box to let us know if you have any technical problems, but just a quick tip, if you lose sound or your picture freezes, the issue is most likely with your connection. So closing your browser and rejoining the session using your um, registration link usually helps. The session is being recorded and we will let you know when the recording is available on our website. And if you listen to podcasts, uh, you can find those shows in your podcast app. And it gives me great pleasure uh, to introduce our presenters for today. Our first presenter is Angus Drum. Angus has 20 years experience uh, working extensively in the heavy vehicle, freight and road sectors. He has worked for the Commonwealth Government uh, as a heavy vehicle safety, productivity, environment and policy expert. He has also worked in the Queensland Government, uh, primarily in the road freight sector, where he was heavily involved in the creation and then operation of the National Heavy Vehicle regulator. Angus has led and been involved in uh, many heavy vehicle safety and environment compliance policy reforms and technology implementations. After Angus, we will hear from Georgia O'Connor and Anthony Germanchov. Uh, Georgia O'Connor is an experienced researcher in a diversity of areas, including sustainability and resilience, asset management, transport technology and transport safety. She is a senior professional leader at the Australian Road Research Board and her role covers a range of activities, um, including the development and review of specifications, data analysis uh, for asset management, risk assessment, um, the development of uh, environmental management strategies and comprehensive research investigation. Anthony Germanchov is the principal professional leader at the Australian Road Research Board. He um, has over 15 years of experience uh, working in the road freight industry and he's one of Australia's leading experts in heavy vehicle safety, productivity um, and network access. Anthony is an accredited PBS assessor and he has assessed um, numerous vehicles, uh, vehicle configurations, including truck and trailers, B-doubles, uh, road trains and uh, multi-combination vehicles. So welcome to our presenters uh, and over to you, Angus. Great, thank you very much, Ekaterina, and welcome everybody to the webinar. I was the project manager for this investigation and the technical work was carried out by ARB, including Anthony and Georgia, and supported as well by excuse me, by Dr. Tim Martin. Um, okay, let's move the screen along. As you can see from this slide, the um, project was supported by a working group that was um, represented by each state and territory and also the Commonwealth Infrastructure Department and the New Zealand Transport Agency. The project, given the strong interaction with, with the NHVR access processes, was heavily collaborated on by the NHVR, the National Vehicle Regulator, and also local government. 
both at the government organisation level, but also at the ALGA and state association level. Before we get into the detail of the presentation, I just want to give a little bit of background to the project motivations and the, the need as Austroads designed the project. Uh, this project is one of several that's been designed to support PBS reform options approved in 2018 by, by ministers. It's part of a, an NTC reform process that looked at a number of aspects that were impeding the full benefits of PBS being realised. A number of um, reform packages were announced as part of that suite, including methods to uh, reduce uncertainty as to whether a vehicle will be approved, promote faster access decisions, the concept of a nationally harmonised infrastructure capability assessment framework for use in access decision making, and also an online database for infrastructure mass limits and load limits being made publicly available. Some of that, that thinking has moved on to, to more um, comprehensive ways of automating access decision making as well. This particular project though was identified to look particularly at the PBS um, pavement impacts um, and how that might be understood better and provided greater clarity for road managers to allow for more consistent, more timely uh, decisions to be brought through the system. When looking at how this project might be um, put into practice and the, the things that would be focused on and the outcomes that would be sought to be achieved from it, the freight task force and other stakeholders thought that the, the priority should be around local government. Um, while there is certainly benefit to be had in harmonising and even improving some of the practice at the state road authority level, the key need was seen to be at the local government level. So much of the, the focus of Anthony and George's work, um, the engagement, and the recommendations were focused on that point, not to the exclusion of other road agencies, but to make sure that the work really looked at those issues to support local government outcomes. So I'll just highlight or preview some of the focus areas that Anthony and Georgia will then work through in more detail. Um, these speak to the themes of, of analysis that the report outlines and some of the findings that we'll talk to you at the end of this webinar about in more detail again. The first theme was around pavement assessment information. So this concept is the one where the, the need to make sure that the information on the PBS, uh, sorry, the pavement impacts of a PBS vehicle is made known to the road manager looking at the assessment at the time of application. So concepts of, of being able to provide pavement comparison information or detail through the PBS process were contemplated. Um, there were different views about how this would be best achieved and some um, state road authorities particularly thought this was best achieved through pushing it through the PBS process. Um, others, particularly the NHVR, felt that this could complicate an already complex PBS process um, and move against some of the streamlining of reform of the PBS process as well. Um, everyone agreed that making the most information uh, available to, to road managers at the most appropriate time was important though. Um, thinking too um, about what sort of information um, would be useful in making that judgment about when to go into more depth or when to accept the um, veracity of the PBS process and the standards that underpin that. And we'll talk more about that. Um, secondly, inclusion of the freight task and understanding the, um, the need to compare um, against a, an appropriate uh, reference vehicle was, was considered and we'll talk more about that as well. So understanding the freight task but also understanding what is the most appropriate um, reference vehicle to consider an application vehicle against. Uh, the report talks a little bit about the WPI tool and other tools as well um, that could be useful in supporting road managers, local government and state in harmonising and improving the decision making when considering pavement comparison issues. Um, there is the concept of a, a local government trial that might be undertaken um, down the track to understand the practical implementation issues associated with a, a pavement comparison tool. 
in terms of number four pavement comparison tools the the issue here we we look to get to in more depth is the how and the when to conduct a pavement comparison when it's appropriate to understand the, the detailed impacts and comparison with standard vehicles in more details and how you might go about that at five we talk a little bit about the benefit and the utility of truck impact charts um, as part of a road manager checklist so there are a number of charts out there that road authorities currently use that provide really useful information around ESAs around the relative impact of PBS vehicles and other vehicles, um, particularly considering a full freight task analysis. So considering the number of trips required, the tonne kilometers required for a given freight task and how that information can be best supplied to support decision-making, how that might be implemented and how that might be endorsed to make that ultimately useful at the local government level. Anthony and Georgia will focus quite a bit on education um, and highlight the education work that's currently um, being undertaken to support road managers in understanding the benefits of PBS, the background standards, and how that might inform decision-making and how that might be improved going forward. The theme around data availability just speaks to the idea of making the most information available, ensuring that road managers have the best information about the condition and other aspects of the pavement as background to support the decision-making framework. And finally, we talk about horizontal and dynamic loading, which have been somewhat gaps in the, the research and standards space for PBS vehicles. Um, and Anthony will flesh that out and also describe some of the more recent work that has filled in some of those gaps. So with that quick overview, which um, Anthony and Georgia will go through in more detail, I'll leave it over to Georgia now to start the discussion and work through the findings and the detail from the analysis. Perfect. So I'm now going to give you an overview of the project which we undertook in order to develop these findings that Angus has given you an overview of. So the aim of this project, as Angus did mention, was to review the current methodologies in use by Austroads member agencies to assess pavement infrastructure and to design a nationally consistent infrastructure assessment guideline in line with the 2018 National Transport Commission review of the performance-based standards or PBS scheme. This project considered the resources currently available related to the pavement impacts of PBS vehicles, pavement assessment tools and methods which are available, methodologies for the identification of vulnerable infrastructure and the availability of data to understand network capacity. As a result, this project developed a seven-step pavement assessment review process, which includes the critical step of a road manager checklist. This has been designed in order to prompt road managers in considering common concerns associated with determining the access required for local government roads. We'll go into this process further down in the presentation. So to start off with today, Anthony, as a PBS assessor, can you please describe to the attendees here today what a PBS vehicle is? Uh, thanks, Georgia, and hello, everyone. Uh, great place to start. Good question, what is a PBS vehicle? Um, often a PBS vehicle is described as an innovative vehicle or a longer and heavier vehicle, but this doesn't really speak true of a, a PBS vehicle in all occasions. So the most accurate way to describe that is a PBS vehicle is a vehicle that's been through the PBS approval process. But then that prompts for well, what does that mean? Um, it, it means it's been assessed against 16 safety standards and four infrastructure standards. Again, I'm still scratching my head about what is a PBS vehicle. Why would you go through the PBS process? Um, you go through the PBS process if your vehicle doesn't comply with um, the prescriptive regulations. So an example of that might be um, the 19 metre length limit for semi-trailers. If you want to go to 20 metres, you're a refrigerated semi-trailer, you won't need space for your cooling system, you might need to go to 20 metres. You can't go to 20 metres unless you go through the PBS approval process. So there's a reason. Um, but it's really hard to know or distinguish a PBS vehicle from another unless you get into the glove box and see the approval in the paperwork. So that's why I've got these two photographs there. And Georgia, I'll ask you, uh, which of the two the Aussie post rigid truck or this quad row train tolling QX is the PBS vehicle. 
I reckon this is going to be a trick question, Anthony. So I'm going to say the smaller Australia post vehicle. You're correct. It is. You wouldn't think that normally. You would think, yeah, it's the big vehicle that's heavier and longer. Um, but the reason that Aussie post vehicle, which we all need at the moment, delivering our parcels uh, with our, all the online shopping, is because it exceeds the rear overhang prescriptive length limit. It's longer than 3.7 metres from the centre of the drive to the rear. So it needs to go through PBS. It's been approved and it's happily driving away safely on our, on our roads. The quad road train is a restricted access vehicle, so it can't deliver parcels to our doorstep. Um, it can only go on road train routes, but it, it's not a PBS vehicle. Um, it has those rights without requiring any assessment. Thanks for that, now, Anthony. That's definitely made PBS a lot clearer for me. Well, so how do we test the audience, Georgia? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. So similar to the question Anthony's just asked me, I wanted to ask our attendees here today, which of the vehicles on the screen they think is the PBS vehicle? Is it A, the green and yellow borrel vehicle? B, the tanker vehicle? C, the grey QUBE vehicle? Or D, the blue and red container vehicle? Take a minute to have a look at the photos as they won't appear when the poll appears on your screen. I will give everybody a bit of help with this because this is like expert level PBS questions. So uh, Ekaterina will load up the poll. You'll have to say A, B, C or D. Um, there are two PBS vehicles here. The truck and trailer is 19 metres long. There's a quad road train there, uh, an AAB combination, <clears throat> the quad B double, and then a A double road train carrying four 20 foot containers. So make your decision. Okay, I'm going to load the poll, and then we'll be able to make your decision. Yep, let's do it. Here you go. We'll wait for 30 seconds. So, so remembering the green and yellow borrow was the truck and dog that was 19 meters. The tanker was a long one. The cube was the V double, and the blue and red container was the uh, the A double. Bottom right. This is the kind of game that I play with my children in the car. So you can imagine how much fun uh, our family road trips are. Right, let's do 10 more seconds and uh, people are still voting. Let's, yeah, let's give them a little bit more time. Yeah, it's still in progress. No consequences of the, uh, the right or wrong answer. Access won't be granted or denied based on the poll results. Hey, Katarina, we're seeing a couple of um, answers come through on the Q&A panel. So if those people would just like to um, respond on their screen, the yeah. results will count. Yep. All right. I can see uh, the poll is still in progress. I think, yep, some people are still voting. I'll just wait a little bit more. So I guess the, the, the clue to this is would any of those vehicles exceed any prescriptive regulations, length, typically. Mm -hmm. People are still voting, it's slowing down. Uh, just a few more seconds. Fantastic to see that we have um, well over 100 attendees. Yeah, we have 70% of the audience voted. So we'll just wait a little bit more. And I know there are some PBS experts in the audience, so I'd be interested to see what we say. These are doubly tricky, and I'm going to feel a little bit guilty for, for putting some of these in here. Okay, all right, still still voting, 74%. <laughs> okay, so it seems it's slowed down. We might close it here, so I'm just closing it. Okay, wait, oh, right. let's... Yeah, so I'm going to read out the, um, the results. So we have 45% um, of the audience uh, selected D, uh, blue and red container vehicle. 47% um, selected C, gray cubic vehicle. 32% uh, think that it is A. 
green and yellow boro vehicle, and 29% believe that it is the uh, the tanker vehicle. There you go, a, a pretty even spread across all of them. Maybe we could have just rolled the dice and got similar results. It is really hard to distinguish a PBS vehicle. That's the point of the exercise. Um, but I will tell you the true answers because you're all dying to hear it. Um, doubly tricky, the, the truck and trailer is actually a PBS vehicle, but you would only know that if you knew what axle group limits it was operating at. It can operate without a PBS approval under a Gazette if it's below axle, uh, maximum axle limits. If it's all the way, if it's capped at 45 tonnes, if you go over 45 tonnes, you need a PBS approval. B is very similar to the one I showed the top in QX. It's a quad road train, but no PBS approval required. Uh, C is just a B double. It's a long vehicle sign on the front because it's um, 26 metres. It's not a um, 30 metre B double. And D is, is, I think we had the majority for that one. That is an, a typical double road train and it wouldn't operate without a PBS approval, except it's been shortened and it wants to go on a road other than where road trains go. It wants to go on the B-double network and to do that it needs to be 30 metres. So it's shortened and then it needs a PBS approval. So there are some real subtleties between knowing which, which of these is and isn't a PBS vehicle. The point of the exercise is that there is not much difference between a PBS and a non-PBS vehicle in terms of the number of axles and the pavement damage, and I'll step through that in the next few slides. Thanks for participating in the poll. Thanks for that, Anthony. So one of the key concepts that you have mentioned here is the load, and this is described as the freight task. So Anthony, are you able to give us a bit of an overview of this concept and why it's important to understand? Okay, so we're using a semi-trailer here, just loaded up to standard uh, general mass limits, six tonnes, 16.5 and 20 on each of the groups. And if we then, reveal the next slide, it'll show how much weight is being carried by each tyre, because on the steer axle, you only have two tyres. On the um, drive group, you have eight tyres, and then we have 12 on the, on the drive. So if you divide just that number by um, the number of tyres, you can see that the steer axle has actually got the most weight on each tyre, and therefore is the most damaging tyre. So really, you want to reduce the number of steer axles that are travelling over our roads if you want to reduce pavement wear. We take this through to the next level where we look at the variations of different vehicles doing the freight task. Semi-trailer, double road train, triple road train. Um, so let's look at these three options. And, and if we click through one more time, we have a need to move three shipping containers. Our options if we're stuck with semi-trailers is three vehicles. Uh, if we've got eight doubles at our disposal to move three, we could use one and a semi-trailer. And obviously one triple road train does all of that work. Now I'm going to remove one part of the equation here and something magical will happen. Let's remove the vehicle altogether. We just have this freight to move. It's a defined finite freight task. And that's that concept that I'm going to be using throughout this webinar. We need to move three shipping containers. And if you look at each of the options, how many axles are on the pavement? We click through. If we use semi-trailers, there's 16. If we use the double and semi, there's 13.5 and only 12 if we use the triple road train. So there's the concept of how many pavements are traveling, how many axles are traveling over our pavement and what would be the best option and the least amount of pavement wear. And the answer is quite evident with that graphic. I would just add, if you click through one more time, there's a little disclaimer there. One axle equals equivalent standard axle, which is the relative amount of damage by its actual axle. It's not actually the total amount of axles. So there is a calculation to turn it into equivalent standard axles. But you know, 25% reduction in, in pavement wear based on a, a more efficient um, triple road train. Now, how does that relate to a PBS vehicle? It's obviously very clear when you're comparing a semi-trailer to a triple road train, but the subtleties between a four axle um, truck and trailer and a five axle truck and trailer are a little bit less. If you look side by side, there's not much difference between them. Maybe it's just a little bit more load space, but load space does make a difference. So if you were to move a thousand tons fixed finite freight task, um, you would have a much, you require less trips. So you'd require 30.5 trips compared to 25. If you're moving a payload of um, a volume metric payload, because when you order things, you might be ordering mulch in a cubic meters, it's 21 trips compared to only 10.9. So you can see the savings there in the reduced number of trips. And that concept is something that is really hard to grasp, but once you've got it, you understand why PBS vehicles offer such a benefit. 
Thanks, Anthony. It's great to know that a PBS vehicle is able to carry a higher payload, creating a higher freight efficiency. So in this project, we investigated access for PBS vehicles. So Anthony, are you able to give the attendees a bit of an overview of why PBS vehicles are specifically a concern for heavy vehicle access and how this is different to regular heavy vehicle access? This is probably the other part of the equation that uh, needs to be understood, is that to get access to the road network, there's either general access or restricted access. General access means no, no approvals, no assessments, no permits. If you comply with these general access vehicle dimensions listed below, and the NHVR has a great little spot on their website for determining if you comply, you, you're, you're right to go. If you don't, um, then you need to apply for a permit and you'll operate as a restricted access vehicle, which means you don't have access to the entire road network, but just a portion of it that's been considered suitable for that vehicle type. And a PBS vehicle falls into that, into that category. Um, and, and you can see there, even for a B-double, the length limit is 19 metres. So that's why a 26 metre B-double, which is the most common length, operates on a restricted B-double network. Three important concepts to grasp there, Georgia. Perfect, thanks so much. So a key concept in this project has also been the identification and analysis of the barriers and misconceptions which do exist around PBS. So Anthony, you have touched on some of these already and you've done a great job with dispelling some of the myths around PBS today. So despite the development though of training materials, the PBS scheme does re remain highly reliant on advice provided by subject matter experts, typically experienced PBS assessors, who under the scheme are accredited to submit applications to the NHVR as a consulting service, such as Anthony. So this has caused many misconceptions about PBS and it's become a barrier to its widespread adoption. So Anthony, are you able to provide a bit more detail on what some of these barriers are? Sure. Well, we put the same questions like the, like I did with the, the poll just before to um, local road local government road managers and, and asked these questions, and there was a wide range of answers. So this is the basic understanding of what a PPS vehicle is and the appreciation of the thoroughness of the PBS approval. Um, there was a lack of understanding around the fact that pavement impacts have been already assessed and approved. They would not have received a PBS application if it failed the performance standards required for, for pavement impacts. Um, and all, all of these questions actually are really quite complex, like you said. If you're in the space every day as a heavy vehicle assessor or um, a, a road manager who's working in a heavy vehicles team, you'll, you'll grasp them. But if you're not and you've been asked to approve, approve access, it's very likely you're going to make inconsistent decisions based on a lack of the basic concepts. And that's what we found. Um, so, so that was the takeaway, that, that, that these basic concepts aren't well understood, particularly at local government levels. And how would you say that these issues extend into the topic of heavy vehicle access for PBS? Well, building on that, the fact that there's a, a misunderstanding or some misconceptions at local government level, but yet they're still required to approve access. So every single PBS vehicle application requires road managers to approve access, as it should be, that's not a problem. They should have the, the right to make that decision. Um, but there are 537 local governments, it covers 80% of the road network, so it's, it, it makes an impact on the industry. And we're finding that there's a lack of consistency in the decisions across those local governments, depending on their understanding of those basic concepts. Um, and just highlighting them again, the, the ones that stand out is just a lack of appreciation of the, of the process and that the pavement standards themselves are not well understood. Um, so yeah, that was a really interesting finding. So as part of this project, we did undertake a consultation with the state road authorities and several local government authorities. This consultation was undertaken in order to seek their current understanding of the process and their recommendations for improvements. So Anthony, what were some of our key findings from this consultation? Sure. Now, it does sound like I'm beating up on local government, but it's not really not really the case. And it does vary depending on the, the size of the local government and how well it's resourced. But there, there was a stark difference between how the SRAs are operating and the local governments. And it really is just a product of the environment they're in. So we found that state motor agencies normally have a heavy vehicles team and they're receiving a lot of applications prior to even PBS. So they've built up expert in restricted access vehicle concepts and their road train networks. 
So over time, they've built a body of knowledge that allows them to, to move towards understanding the PBS concepts, which aren't too different from restricted access vehicle concepts, and they're well-placed and resourced to make these decisions. And that just hasn't existed in local government level. So they're back at sort of the starting line in terms of understanding this and being able to have the resources and staff and understanding to make consistent decisions. And, and, I, and I'll probably reiterate what Angus said, it's about consistent decisions and timely decisions. So whenever you're uncertain of, some, of, of something, it normally causes delay or just an inconsistency in the final decision that is made. So through this consultation, Anthony, what were some of your takeaways on the opportunities that were identified by the state road agencies and the needs identified by the local government authorities? Yeah, so I'm trying, so we actually asked, what, what, what do you need? Uh, LGAs, what do you need? SRAs, what do you need? And it really highlights the difference of where they both sit in their ability to, to solve these problems or, or provide heavy vehicle access or make the decisions. So I've got a plus one where there was the same um, answer given, which was about we need tools and guidelines and, and, and resources. Um, but if you have a look at the local government um, needs, it's all about provision of provision of funding, funding for the staff, for bridges, for culverts, for maintenance, for roads. So, so they feel under-resourced to manage what they've been asked to manage. Whereas the needs of the SRAs were a little bit further along, um, which reflects where they are. They've progressed beyond just, we feel like we're, we're swamped and we're overwhelmed and we don't have enough funding to, um, we need education, we need a collaborative approach, we need visibility of heavy vehicle movements and, and then even moving to the road charging um, position. So we really need the local governments to be in a position where they're at that same point. We need to, we need to bring them to play catch up, I guess. They're playing catch up at the moment. So at this stage of the presentation, I'd just like to remind our audience to please enter any questions in the question box as shown on the slide there. So once these opportunities and needs were collated, as Anthony outlined, we used this information to develop guidance for local government. So to start with, we have re reviewed the available tools used in practice. This included the National Asset Centre of Excellence or NACO Local Government Heavy Vehicle Route Assessment Guidelines, the Western Australian Local Government Association or WALGA User Guide for estimating the incremental cost impact on sealed roads from additional freight tasks, the Restricted Access Vehicle Route Assessment Tool or RAVRAT, the ATA Track Impact Chart, the methodology presented in the Austroads Research Report, the reassessment of the benefits and impacts of the use of high productivity vehicles on Australian highway pavements, and the freight access, the freight axle mass limits investigation tool or FAMLET user guide. So Anthony, are you able to provide us with a little bit of commentary on the importance of each of these tools? Sure, I'll do that. I'll just point out that if you are putting your questions in, um, in the Q&A section, we will gather them all at the end and, and do the Q&A at the end of this, but we'll keep going. So all of these tools and, and guidelines, they're really, I guess, heavy research reports in printed form. Um, but local governments were found to rely on some more heavily than others. Um, they've got fantastic information in there. The truck impact chart will probably highlight is probably the easiest to understand and grasp, um, but they're all, I guess, heavy going and you need a printed report and you need to know where to look. The only exception is the, is the RAVRAT, which is an online tool, um, but even for an online tool, it probably still is a little bit um, heavy going. We really needed something that was at your fingertips, uh, a single source of truth, a toolkit for um, the local governments. So what we try to do is pull the best out of each one of these documents and, and, and provide some guidance to, to where we should head next. So as you said there, Anthony, we did pull what we thought was best from each of these guidance tools to develop ours. So what else were the requirements that were required of our guidance based on this outcome? Yeah, so, so some of those documents contained um, comparison of the PGX vehicle to the reference vehicle. So we thought that's important to make a comparison to know where that PBS vehicle fits in relation to what might be used to do the freight task otherwise. And then considering the freight task as a finite amount of work that needs to be done, as I, as I demonstrated earlier in those, in those slides. And then also something that documents that decision-making process, which is what the RAVRAT tool does do well and being interactive as opposed to a printed report um, so that way, if a road manager makes a decision, documents it, moves on, someone else can pick up and, and see what was done. So that's important. 
something that guides you through the process as well, providing helps and tips to know if you're considering this, you probably need to look at that. Um, and then ultimately one that addresses those key barriers we identified before, which are really about um, the, the, the absence of an understanding or the, or the misconceptions that we talked about before. So all of these requirements can be summarised into three pillars, which support the guidance for local government. These include having data and vehicle information, having strong education and training, and having collaboration. So Anthony, are you able to elaborate on the importance of each of these three pillars from the perspective of a PBS assessor? Sure, well these three pillars are really what's required to make um, the decision. So first of all, you need to have the information in front of you, you need to know what's being asked of you, what you're looking at. So data in terms of the road, the route, the freight, task and, and the vehicle itself. Most of that should be contained in the PBS application, so should should be a given. Um, the education and training can be uh, workshops and training courses, but it also can be built into the tools where it guides you through and if you're not sure of a decision, it will lead you into the right direction where you can receive more information. And then the collaboration uh, pillar, it's probably a, a general term that can mean a lot of things, but really it's about a continuity of, of decision-making process between other people in your organisation, but then also uh, others outside of the organisation. So one example of that is publishing the network and documenting the reasons for why access was, was, was granted. Um, for example, you don't have to reassess uh, a B-double network if you're approving a level two PBS vehicle. Um, it can, that decision can be true for all parts of the road network if they're same properties. So using this information, we developed the proposed pavement assessment review process. The steps in this process were to collate the vehicle information, to understand the freight task, to identify and collate route information, to compare, to complete a road manager checklist and then complete a pavement impact comparison where required, to make your access decision and to document this process, collaborating with those required along the way and communicating the outcomes to allow for consistency in the future. So Anthony, what are your thoughts on the importance of this process? Okay, so, so I just want to highlight here that this is where the, uh, the, the, the debate and discussion, which was really beneficial between the NHGR and, and the project team was, we're not creating another layer of work or a burden on, on road managers. This is just a step-by-step -step process and it can be done very quickly that covers all of those pillars. Have all the information in front of you. The road manager checklist is the idea of providing you a uh, uh, frequently asked questions or a tip or some advice if you're stuck on a topic or if you're fearful of a certain topic, if it might be unsealed roads or vulnerable pavement or there's some concern, it can guide you in the direction to get the information you need. Uh, and then there's the pavement impact comparison where you can compare the, the pavement impacts of the vehicle uh, to another and understand the, the benefits that it's providing. Um, we haven't really touched on the tools available there, but there's something the WPI where productivity index that EMR use um, quite a lot. It's not another assessment process that needs to be done. It's meant to be used as a guide to give you more information because once you've received the PBS application, it, that vehicle has passed the pavement impact assessment. Um, it's just about improving your level of knowledge so that you can make consistent decisions in a timely fashion. Then you can make the decision. And then the idea is to document that, publish that um, so that it can be communicated and shared so that the next decision can be made in a consistent fashion with the last decision. Perfect. So as we discussed at the beginning of this webinar and as outlined by Angus, we use this process to develop some key findings for pavement assessment methodologies for PBS access into the future. In detail, the recommendations that were developed were that local government man managers should be provided with pavement assessment information or tools as part of the PBS access decision-making process. That pavement assessment review process should include a comparison with a reference vehicle and consideration of the freight task as Anthony has outlined. That a local go government trial should be utilized in order to operationalize the use of the WPI tool that in order to be fully effective, the PBS assessment guidelines should include guidance on how and when to use pavement comparison tools, that an endorsed truck impact chart and road manager checklist would support improved road manager decisions for PBS vehicles, that PBS specific training workshops and education should continue for local governments, 
that we should improve the availability of road condition data for local government roads, and that further research may be needed to understand the horizontal loading and dynamic loading for pavements. So Anthony, would you like to elaborate on the importance of these recommendations? I would just perhaps provide one overarching comment about the idea of this is to, to provide a toolkit, eight tools in the toolkit that enable road managers to make that consistent, timely decision. Um, I will throw back to, to Angus for, for a final say and, and wrap up, but there's probably two things there, maybe three I didn't really highlight much, um, but happy to take up if there are questions. Data availability is one. We did find that road managers that know more about their road condition, whether it be weak or poor, just if they know more about it, are more confident with their decision making. Even if they know it's vulnerable, they'll know that a productive vehicle will serve better on a vulnerable or a strong pavement. Um, but if you don't know anything about your pavement because you don't measure it, it's a barrier to making a decision. And the horizontal dynamic loading one as well is the old chestnut that's been around for a long time. It's very hard concept to, to um, get a certainty on, complex, complex engineering issues, but we are in a position now where we've got the technology that allows us to answer them. But I would just say that horizontal and dynamic loading concepts apply equally to PBS and prescriptive vehicles because there's just the interaction between tyres on the road. And as we saw before, there's just tri-groups, tandem groups, and in some cases quad groups, but it's just the tyres interacting with the pavement that uh, we're measuring, regardless of the PBS or um, prescriptive label. Uh, Angus, did you want to add a bit more to, to that? Yeah, thanks, Anthony. And that's a really good um, summary, I think. The only thing I'd like to really add to that is just to, to reiterate the point that I made at the beginning, perhaps around the um, complexity and the, the balancing between providing information to road managers about pavement comparison up front, which was one concept we, we thought about quite a lot, uh, but also the other concept of promoting this idea of equivalent axle loading and the benefits of PBS. So as many people pointed out, what we don't want through this process is to have people doing more assessment and worrying more about pavement wear when essentially what we're saying is the, the wear for PBS vehicles is generally better, particularly when you consider the entire freight task. But that's not always the case. It's a complex problem because it's not always the case and there are some PBS vehicles that can cause more wear. And we know that that's a concern for, for many road managers and states and local governments have to consider that. So one of the challenges going forward with implementing these findings for, for Australia's members and for the NHVR is, is the when and how to provide that those tool sets where in the PBS process will make more sense. And I'd just like to let the um, audience members know that the Australia's members are considering that, thinking about the various tools that they might provide and make available to, to road managers. At the same time, keeping in touch with um, the work that the NHVR are doing on the PBS review and reform more broadly. And those things include the portal and so forth. So those things will need to marry up to make sure that that blend between simple guidance, clear concepts, education around the PBS um, project, as Anthony has really crisply, um, I think, described today, um, they're really important drivers, but also finding ways to provide the most information about that comparison is going to be really key going forward. Um, so with that, unless Anthony or George, you'd like to have any final comments on that? No, I would um, I would move this then, I think, to the, the question and answer section. Thank you very much. Okay, so moving straight into that, um, we have a number of questions here. I will start with one that um, perhaps may have been partially answered more towards the end of Anthony's discussion on the WPI tools. But the question is, what is a WPI tool? Um, Anthony, you outlined that that is a wear productivity index tool that um, Transport Main Roads Queensland have used for a, a period to think about pavement impacts. Perhaps you might just give us a bit more of a, a slightly more depth around how it works and maybe a bit more context about the um, other tools that we looked at um, and the relative uses of those. Yeah, well, the, the WPI tool, um, as the name suggests, it calculates the amount of wear, and that's done by calculating the ESAs. I kind of stepped through that where I said how many axles each of those um, vehicles that were moving those shipping containers had. So it basically calculates that, the number of axles for each vehicle configuration, then includes the amount of freight being moved as an index, a ratio between how many ESAs for how much payload is being shifted. 
and obviously the the less amount of axles that are going over our road for the, the more pay, uh, for the more product payload being moved the better the equation so you can use that tool it's like a little spreadsheet calculator um, to, to understand and compare different vehicle options thanks anthony the, the next question is worded how about a bus and i'm taking that question to mean um, where do buses fit within the PBS process and how do the standards apply to them? Perhaps you might expand on that a little bit, Anthony, for us again. Um, sure, there are some P buses that have gone through the, the PBS um, process. Buses in terms of pavement where aren't too much of a um, sticking point. And re remember, a lot of the decisions about where vehicles can and can't go is often related to their, to their length, the, the amount of swept path that they take up, and that's more relevant for buses because buses, especially those imported from overseas, normally have a large and rear front overhang, um, and they need steerable axles to manoeuvre. Not so much of a, um, an issue, very rarely loaded to full capacity. So pavement wear considerations for buses, um, not a real sticking point for, for industry or for road managers at the moment. Great, thanks Anthony. Uh, the next question I'll go to is, what is road user charging? And um, I'll address that first and um, George or Anthony, you can add to that if you, if you want to. Um, so road user charging is the concept of user pays um, for using the road network. It's been considered by governments um, for application for light vehicles and heavy vehicles for probably near enough to two decades now without um, too much happening in terms of final policy. With respect to heavy vehicles though, there has been quite a lot of policy framing about how that might look and it relates um, quite closely with this project in terms of this idea of in increased consumption of the network. So these vehicles that um, might consume more of the pavement more quickly um, is part of this discussion. Now while there's this equivalency for PBS, the standards for PBS have to be designed such that the, the loading per axle group is the same, there are some combinations that are possible that can cause more wear um, for an individual vehicle, but also sometimes if you consider it five freight tank kilometres. Um, so that's a, an issue that obviously is quite challenging for, for road managers to consider, and I think becomes part of the debate around where does this fit? Can we provide ultimate flexibility for industry in terms of uh, having these vehicles, innovative vehicles that can add to productivity on the network, but making sure that the funding for the increased wear of the, the network can be accommodated? And ultimately the idea is that that, that um, extra cost um, for the road manager, the, the benefits of that can be flowed back through the road user charging framework back to the, um, hypothecated is the word, hypothecated back to the, um, the owner of the asset. So that's where it fits, I guess, into this context. Anthony, Georgia. I don't think I need to add too, too much there, but um, the road user, charging solution i guess is not really the solution for, for this problem i think about consistency it's a much simpler problem to solve it's just consistency of the decisions through education um a road user charging opens up a whole another set of considerations um yeah well beyond what we're dealing with here yeah that's a, it's a good clarification anthony thank you and, and that's right it is relevant as a as a, an edge case, perhaps in this context, but you're right. The main focus of this project and the the main drive for the findings is around the understanding of this the standard case, which is that these vehicles are going to be beneficial overall. Um, moving then to a, a, the next question, um, I think I'll address the question about is it intended to include the ESA information with the PBS approval? Now, this is, I guess, related, Anthony, to the, the discussion we had with stakeholders about what information to push through the process, what information that PBS assessors um, develop as part of the assessment process could be made available to the road managers. Um, but it's not the intent at this process, at this time in the process, to provide that directly um, to the road manager. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Do you want me to add a little bit to, to that? Um, sure. There, there, there was a time where you would 
before PBS existed where you would calculate the ESAs per payload and include it in a report before the PBS formal process was, was created. So there's debate about whether that's been done. And I'm not stressing that you need to do that as a road, a road manager. Once you've got your application and it's passed, it has passed and no more further calculations required. And even if you look at another one of the standards that's not related to pavement wear, such as say rollover threshold, some vehicles have a higher rollover threshold than others. So it means there's some are safer. But if they've all met the requirement, you don't need to ask any more questions. It's considered safe for road operations. The same with the pavement wear. If it's considered no more damaging than a prescriptive vehicle, it can have access. So when you start to rank them on a ladder, you know, it, it you would you would you would don't want to discriminate against ones that are still meeting the requirement. Um, but you would like to encourage uptake of the most productive vehicles. But the good thing is transport operators want to do that anyway. They want to reduce their fuel burn, they want to reduce their tire wear, and that means less pavement wear. So it, it works from both sides. The transport operators are not really putting up poor performing vehicles. Thanks again. And look, this is probably a nice follow-up. Um, how was the ESA established? And I think this means what's the, the basis for describing what an um, equivalent standard axle is? I'm going to do my best to describe what pavement engineers do day in, day out at the Australian Road Research Board, but I'm very actually actively involved in a project we're doing right now to get the new load equivalence factor. So basically there's a load equivalence factor that says this is how much damage we consider to be one axle. And it's based on tests that are done using ARB's accelerated load facility. They run it thousands and thousands and thousands of times and say, okay, this is how much pavement wear this tyre does. And then they compare it to other tyres and other tyre groups and they say relative to that one axle, you know, which is more or less damaging. And we're doing that now for a tyre group that is, is yet to really um, come to the market, the ultra wide tyres. We're doing those um, pavement wear tests. So basically that will produce uh, a load equivalence factor that can compare to other axle groups. Um, it's a very simple calculation and it is in the report, uh, uh, the definition of ESAs and how it's calculated in this Osprey's report, which um, I think is actually attached to the invitation. Thanks, Anthony. Um, the next one I think might be for you as well. It's um, reads damage at junctions and on inclines is extrapolated when more mass is being accelerated through the same drive wheels. Um, that does not seem to be considered. I think this falls into our extra research around um, horizontal loading and, and dynamic load effects perhaps. You know, it is considered under PBS, and um, so the I know it's called performance-based standards, which means you have to pass a performance requirement. But for for but for pavement impacts, it's prescriptive. They just rule a line. They say no more uh, weight than prescriptive limits. That's for the vertical loading. What's described here with the grade is they say if you have a tandem group drive group, you must not be. Uh, the vehicle must not be any heavier than, I think it's 85 tonnes for a certain level and 100 tonnes for another level. So it, it prevents you towing 170 tonnes with a tri with a drive grip that's not capable of, of um, you know, moving it forward without damaging the pavement. So there are prescriptive limits over that as well that limit the horizontal loading pavement. Thank you again. Um, look, this is just a quick clarification, slide 34. Uh, pavement assessment information finding number one relates to LG. The acronym there is local government. So um, hopefully that clarifies that. Um, further, there is um, discussion on an article detailing EV trucks and their unsuitability for use on Australian roads from a loading perspective, um, mentioning the, the weight of a lithium battery and the effect on steer axle loads, etc. Do we have any comments in this regard? Don't know, Anthony, if you're able to help with sort of comments on how standards, maybe even overseas, are addressing some of the. Uh, yeah, well, um, you your axles. The steer axle is an interesting one because it's not really related to payload. The, the the way that a steer axle will be increased is if it's got a heavier engine or a bull bar or fuel tanks, or in the case now with modern vehicles, uh, batteries. Um, so you do want to limit or reduce the amount of overloading of a steer axle because it is the most damaging axle. Um, the other alternative is to put wider tyres on the steer axle. So for road trains, which have that problem from the other perspective, they're not carrying batteries, they're carrying more diesel and bull bars and sleeper cabs. Uh, they have a wider tyre and they can go to 6.7 tonnes or even seven tonnes 
on the steer axle in, in some cases. Um, so that's the appropriateness of, of our road network to accommodate EVs. Alternatively, moving the battery to a position further back on the vehicle that doesn't overload the steer axle is a way to address that problem. Thank you again. Look, this next question talks about bridges. Um, where are the resources to analyze our bridges? The single biggest barrier for us. I'll address that even though it's this talk is about pavements. I did mention at the beginning that there are parallel projects looking at the um, issue of structures and PBS vehicles. And it's probably worth noting that there are a number of projects that are looking at this at the state and local level and national level as well. I'll mention the, um, the Commonwealth funded NHVR project to look at um, strategic routes for local government, the um, strategic local government asset assessment project where funding has been committed to help um, analyze the structures and their capability for various vehicle classes. And note also that the states and territories are doing a number of projects to, to do the same sort of thing. And look at the way that, that that structural information can be efficiently used to support um, time, less time intensive um, responses to access requests. Again, Anthony, Georgia, would you like any follow-up on that before we move on? Uh, no, I think you summed it up well there, Angus, other than the fact that in our consultation, bridges and culverts were raised as well. So I don't think road managers discriminate. They don't say, oh, this is a pavement issue, like it's a pavement and bridges issue, but you can separate the two. You can have a truck that's good for the pavement, but damages the structures. So I think we do need to do that work that we're doing currently for understanding impacts on structures. It's probably just worth making the overall comment that while this, this project looked at, at pavements, um, the guidelines and the focus um, is being looked at to, to wrap it up into an entire view. So we need to be able to support road managers collectively in thinking about geometric, structural and pavement issues as part of a package. Uh, the next question I'll get to in the time remaining, I think we've got time for a couple more at least. Um, if the subgrade supports the pavement and that varies between seasons, how is that included in the calculations? Um, Anthony, I think I'll leave that one to you to have a go at. Yeah, it's just the same The same rule applies. So whether the pavement is um, vulnerable or it's strong, it's just a tri-group that belongs to a PBS or a prescriptive vehicle. So it, all it comes down to is that same equation of equivalent standard axles. Um, so it's, it's just a relative comparison rather than comparing the amount of damage to a certain pavement design. It's just a relative comparison. PBS vehicles and not permitted on the road unless they're no more damaging than prescriptive vehicles. And that's the rule that we, we apply blanket, uh, as a blanket across all applications. Okay, thank you. Um, the next question is, what is the minimum width for safe and legal two-way traffic when limited by horizontal and vertical geometrics? So I think the first thing to say there is that the the um, the vehicle width is under review currently, um, considering options for moving from 2.5 to 2.55 or even 2.6 has been um, suggested as, as an option. Um, I think the other thing to say about PBS vehicles is that the other standards talk about a performance envelope and ways to, um, to consider dimensions other than prescriptive ways and to think about um, swept path and other aspects of dynamic envelopes. Um, perhaps, Anthony, is there anything more you can tease out to, to respond to that query? Uh, that's, that's spot on, but I would say that that sometimes can happen where you've got a concern about um, the geometric constraints of your road network, and then you say no for a pavement reason. You need to say pavement, you need to separate the two and say, oh, this vehicle is not safe for our road network because we've got narrow roads and it doesn't pass PBS for track width or uh, swept path, like getting like it's pointed out. Um, but you, you can uh, see the results of the application and consider your network and then make the decision if they're suitable or not, it's completely independent of pavement impacts. Thank you again. Okay, yes, Ekaterina, I think we've come to the end of the, the questions and probably a good time to, to come to yeah, the closing part of the uh, webinar, hey? We've covered all the questions. Thanks so much, uh, Anthony and George and Angus. Um, and we just have a couple of more slides before we let everybody go. 
Um, just very quickly, our future webinars. Um, we have three sessions coming up um, on the 19th of October. Please join us for a webinar to hear world-renowned experts uh, Ralph Buller and John Pucha share their insights into how we can make city cycling safe, practical and convenient for a broad spectrum of ages, genders and abilities. Um, on the 26th of October, we will talk about the new pathway for the implementation of uh, nationally harmonized temporary traffic management practice. And on the 11th of November, we will have a webinar to discuss a strategic review uh, of the guide to traffic management. So for more information and to register, please visit our website. And I've just noticed that we had one more question, Angus, or maybe it's just more of a comment. Um, if you'd like to address that one before we go. So this is the one that says PBS vehicles also, PBS vehicles includes, also includes yeah trucks carrying yeah. huge logs and timber yards. Um, yeah, I don't think there's too much to respond to that other than to note perhaps that often that relates to um, not just pavement issues but also um, stability issues and, and rollover and there are a number of activities going on to, to manage um, the way that masses are um, managed, mm -hmm. um, both to prevent overloading for the pavement impacts, but also for safety reasons as well, including codes of practice and these sorts of pieces of work. But it's a, it's a fair comment. Thank you. Um, and uh, pretty much it, our final slide um, just will tell you, as usual, we uh, when we close out today's session, there will be a questionnaire for you. Um, so please take a couple of minutes, uh, fill it in, let us know uh, what you like, what you didn't like about the session, and what suggestions you have for future webinars. Uh, once again, the session is being recorded, and we will let you know when the recording is available on our website. Uh, so thanks again, everyone. Uh, stay well and safe, and enjoy the rest of your day. We will see you next time.